So this has been kind of a tough week. When you look at all the things that are going on around us, it's been a, a pretty tough week. When you think about Afghanistan and all the things that are happening there, uh, pretty horrible things that are transpiring. And, uh, and then in top, on top of that, you, you look at the fires and, uh, you know, you and I are a little inconvenienced by the smoke, but there are people that have lost everything that they have in some of these fires, and they don't know when they're going to get these fires out. And so it's kind of tough times right now. Nothing God can't handle. In fact, God designs a life that we have to live within his power, and we have to trust him. And then I have a couple friends that uh, are in ICU with COVID, and uh, pretty tough circumstances going on in their lives as well. So the reality is, is that we have a God that hears our prayer when we call out unto him and our tool, our responsibility and the, and the weapon that God gives to us is the idea of prayer. It's not just an idea. It's a powerful tool that God puts in our hands, one we underutilize and one we are, you know, probably uncomfortable with at times. But the reality is, is that that's all the enemy. The, the enemy wants us to be uncomfortable with going to him in going to God in prayer and so what we thought we'd do today for just a moment is let's stand together. And uh, this is a little aerobics in church before you get out. And uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to take your hands, whether you're at home or whether you're in, on campus, take your hands and put them out in front of you. This is a posture of submission to God and receiving. So we're going to go to God together in prayer. I'll be the voice. And in your heart, you agree with me in prayer and, uh, and we'll just see what God does. Is that, is that a deal? All right, so let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are the God who invites us to prayer. You say, call unto me and I will answer you. And so, Lord God, we are doing that in obedience and in faith in you. And I believe that people all around uh, this country are doing the same thing today. And so, Father, I, I first of all pray for what's going on in Afghanistan Lord God, I can't even begin to imagine what the reality is there, God. Only you can. And, but I do know, God, that you are the God who does hear us when we call. And so in the name of Jesus, I am now calling on your name, and I pray that you would rescue and that you would deliver. And I pray for those, those that have voices inside the country, the Christians that are inside that country, God, that you would allow them to have boldness and power and that you would use them in a very powerful way. And Lord, we'll just look for you for the results, God. We trust in you and pray, God, that you would protect who needs to be protected, God, and deliver those who need to be delivered. And Lord, for those that have suffered loss in the fire, God, God, we pray that you would comfort them and show them, God, that their belongings aren't what makes them up, that Lord, it's your view of them. It's your, it's your love for them that really gives them a sense of, their, of identity. And so, God, I pray that you would step into these circumstances and uh, allow us as your people to do whatever we can do to help. And, Lord God, I pray specifically as well for uh, those who have COVID, those who are very ill with COVID, those who are in ICU. I pray, God, I lift them up before you and I pray in the name of Jesus. You are the healer, God. You say that you are the healer. And so we're asking in Jesus' name that you would heal in a very powerful, dynamic, and direct way, God, that you, as a result of our prayer today, would touch people's lives. 
And Lord, we're going to thank you for that. And we promise one thing, God, when you answer our prayer, we'll give you all the glory that you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So welcome. If you're here on campus, welcome. And if you're here online, welcome as well. We're right in the middle of a series that we started last week entitled, Who Was Jesus? Who Am I? So here's what we're doing. We're looking at historical Jesus. We're looking at who Jesus was 2,000 years ago as he became human. How did he function? What did he do? And then we're looking at 2,000 years later, how then do I live that life of Jesus out in my life 2,000 years later? 21st century America, how do I live that life out right now? That's what we're looking at. And today we come to a subject matter that I'm going to be right up front with you is, gonna, is going to challenge us. It's going to stretch our faith. It's going to stretch who we are and how we actually look at following Jesus. What does that look like and how does that feel? So that's what we're going to do today. And so what I need from you is that I need you to come with me. I need you to, I need you to lean into this and to understand what I'm going to say to you comes directly from the pages of Scripture. I'm not making it up. But Christianity and what God sees sometimes are two different things. And so what we're going to talk about today specifically is Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so we're going to talk about the subject matter then of the kingdom of God, how that relates itself out in 21st century America because it is here right now. Did you know, this is a fun fact. I love to give fun facts out. Did you know in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in, that's what the Gospels are. When you look at the Gospels, the word kingdom is used 119 times. Wow, I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? 119 times, four authors use the word kingdom, whether it's Jesus directly or one of his disciples, use the word kingdom. And so what I want you to understand is this concept of the kingdom is essential for my understanding if I'm going to follow Jesus in any way, shape, or form. I've got to understand what it is. I've got to get a, my mind around this whole concept. So there are two aspects to this thing called kingdom. And uh, you've heard me teach on this before for if you've been here for a while, but many of you haven't, so you need to hear this loud and clear. There are two aspects to the kingdom. The first aspect of the kingdom is the here and now. The kingdom of God is right now, and it is among us. It's here in America. It's in Afghanistan. It is in the Middle East. It is in Canada. It's everywhere. The kingdom of God is right now. So you say, where do I get that? I get that from what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. So in Luke chapter 17, if you brought a Bible, you're welcome to turn to Luke 17. But in Luke 17, verse 21, this is what it says. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? That's a legit question, right? When will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. He's now talking about this sense of the kingdom right now. The kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is here. It's right now. And I, according to the Bible, we're going to come back to this verse in just a minute, I am to seek first the kingdom of God. This is a prevalent teaching all through the New Testament. I am to seek first the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom was foretold in the Old Testament. It was preached by Jesus. The very first sermon that Jesus preached was about the kingdom of God. 
and it was talked about by all the apostles. It is a, it is a theme throughout all of the Bible. So the, then the question is, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? So let me see if I can put my spin or my wrap around what the kingdom of God is. Listen to it carefully. Uh, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that when Jesus came, God moved into this world in an unprecedented way. So God is here right now. Jesus is moving. The kingdom is being built right now. It's ever expanding. And I've got to ask the question of my own life. Am I going to be a part of that kingdom or not? Am I going to be passive or am I going to be aggressive when it comes to the gospel of the kingdom? Gordon Fee, who is a scholar, says this. In Christ, God has planted a flag on planet Earth. That's what the kingdom is all about. You know, when you plant a flag, what's all, that all about? That just, that declares ownership. When we went to the moon and we planted a flag on the moon, it was a statement. It was a statement. And that's what the kingdom of God is. When Jesus came, he made a statement about the kingdom. The central message of the kingdom is be repenting and believe. So let's talk about the concept of that that idea of repenting. What does that mean? The idea isn't a static word. It's an ongoing word. It's not that I repented. Listen to me very carefully. You need to be repenting every day. Every day. It's not... Now, so let's talk about the word repent. When we typically think of repent, oftentimes we think of a kind of a Catholic view of repenting. So bear with me, Catholics, those of you in the audience. Um, a Catholic view of a of repenting is more of the idea of somehow me doing penance or, you know, making a payment somehow with my life so that I can find favor with God. That's the idea of many religious people, but Catholics in particular. But the idea in the Bible is a little bit different. The idea of repenting in the Bible is the idea of changing my mind. It is the idea, it's this, this, a sister word is believing. I'm to constantly be, constantly be changing my mind and believing on the kingdom, of the king and the kingdom. That's what repenting is all about. That should be an ongoing process in my life. The day that I stop repenting is the day that I stop growing in my faith. Do you understand that? So good and so crucial to my understanding of what God would want for my life. So it means to change your mind or to go in a different direction. And that's a daily process. So who was Jesus? He was the initiator and the proclaimer of the kingdom of God. Who am I? I'm the respondent to the kingdom of God. And I'm also a proclaimer of the word of God. That's who I am. That's who you are. So that's the first aspect of the kingdom. But there is a second aspect of the kingdom that is just as important and maybe a little undertaught in our culture. And that is the physical, uh, the physical part of the kingdom that, would ha that happens when Jesus comes back and he, and he puts his feet on this planet. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the culmination of the kingdom of God. And that is just as important. And so this is the future reign of Jesus on this planet. Planet. So let me just show you this from the Bible. In Revelation, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter number one. I love the book of Revelation, by the way. Don't be afraid of it. It is a beautiful book. You should read it. It is awesome. It talks about the end times. And, it, it, you know, it's not as confusing as you might think if you just read it casually. And you don't, you hear, when I read the Bible, this is how I read it. I don't try to read it understanding everything I read. I just try to understand what I can understand. 
And I just keep that process going over and over again. And pretty soon I know some stuff. That's how, that's how it works, okay? That's just how it works. So the book of Revelation, chapter number one, verse seven, this is what it says. Behold, he, that is Jesus, is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. There won't be, when Jesus comes back, there will not be a dry eye in the house. Because there will be two kinds of tears that day. One of tears of remorse and fear, and the other tears of rejoicing and happiness. And so everyone will wail because of him, some because of good reasons, some because of bad reasons. So here's what I do today, 2021. I stake my flag at the entrance of the empty tomb. What about you? That's where I stake my flag. I stake my flag and I make my proclamation about the second coming of Jesus Christ at the empty tomb because if the empty tomb was real and true, then the second coming of Jesus is real and it is true. So I believe in it. It's powerful. Jesus said, therefore, because he preached the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the, my responsibility and my response to this kingdom is that this is what should drive me. And this is where it's going to get a little stretching today. This is going to be aerobics for the Christian life. What should drive me is not my family. What should drive me is not my job. What should drive me is not houses or cars or whatever else I can buy with money. That's not what should drive my life. Jesus said it. Jesus said, I should seek first the kingdom of God and let all those other things fall into the right perspective, right place, which is secondary. That's the point of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 that I just quoted. So how do I do that? How do I live in two kingdoms? And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. There are times that I find myself being caught up in this world and maybe having the kingdom of God with a little less impact on my life. I find myself in that place from time to time, and I'm sure you do too. So how then do I learn the discipline of living in this, this dichotomy of being here now, the kingdom ha being right here and now, and yet there's a future coming, coming of Christ where it is going to be culminated and it is going to be powerful, and then everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at that moment in time. So having said that, how do I do that? For those of you that have traveled to other countries, you know that, that sometimes when you travel, like I've spent a lot of time in Russia. And so when you go there, it's like almost exactly 11 to 12 hours, depending you know, on the time frame here, almost 11 or 12 hours ahead. And so that really messes with your head, I'm just telling you. You get there and you're... You know, you're twisted around and what should be day is night and what should be night is day. And, and uh, so here's what I would do. When I, and I've traveled extensively all over the world. This is what I would do when I would travel. This is the old days. Um, and uh, this is the old day when people actually wore watches. Now, some people have Apple watches on. Amen to that. I have one myself. 
But, this, but in those days, almost nobody, you know, everybody wore watches. So this is what I'd do, is I would put one watch on this wrist and one watch on this wrist. One would be home time, the other would be Russian time. And so, I, and I, I'd look at both watches, and I would think to myself, I wonder what's going on. I wonder, my wife Judy, I wonder what she's doing right now. I wonder if she's okay, if she's sick, she's not sick, you know, because, you know, in those days, there wasn't any cell phones, and so I wouldn't have contact with her for like 12, 14 days at a time. I mean, so, you know, it was just a different world. Today, with cell phones, you can have instant access, but in those days, you couldn't, so I'd wear these two watches, and I would keep my eye on what was going on there and what was going on here. And that's what I think we should do spiritually. I think the next time that you get your device out and look at what time it is, <clears throat> hope it's not in this, these services, because <laughs> I'm going to go over today just because of that. <laughs> I hope the next time you do that, that you'll think, you'll think of this illustration and think of the fact that you have to live in two worlds, in two dimensions, in two kingdoms, and you've got to be aware of both. They're both important. You've got to be aware of both. I hope that's what you do the next time you look at one of those devices. So here's what it looks like. There are two things. If I'm going to live for the king right now, and I'm going to seek first, and I'm going to be totally sold out to him. Because that's what he demands from me. This isn't an option. He says, take up your cross and daily follow me. It is not an option for me not to be totally sold out. There's only two options, in or out, saint or ain't. Those are the two options. So if that's the case, how do I do that? There are two things that I believe that are essential in understanding it. First of all, I live in a loving obedience every day to the king. My goal when I get up on Monday morning is live, to live in loving obedience to the king. I don't do it perfectly. That's my goal. That's my target. Not legalistically. Not, I don't, I'm not a rule follower. I just ask Jesus every day, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? How do you want me to speak to them? What am I supposed to do? And so you live, and, and I said this last weekend, you live with the idea that I never say no to Jesus. And listen to me carefully. As you read your Bible and as you're engaging with God, he's always speaking. I just don't have maybe the right antenna to tune in to the right channel. So I've got to adjust that from time to time. God is always speaking. So I want to live in loving obedience to whatever he says to do. And sometimes he asks me to do uncomfortable things. Like seek someone's forgiveness. You, really, God? You want me to do that right now? Yeah, Dan, just do it right now. Call him up on the phone and say, hey, I need to ask you your forgiveness for something. Loving obedience. Every day, that's how, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not because you're earning favor with God. Not because you're trying to get, you're not, that's not the idea of repenting. It's just your reaction to the love of Christ. Because he loves you so much, you just let that love flow, flow through your lives and it's loving obedience. The second thing that I do is I wait eagerly for his kingdom to come. I look for it. I long for it. I desire it. I want it more than anything else. Not because, listen to this carefully, not because I want God to deliver me from my horrible circumstance. And we all have them, right? God puts us into places, every single one of us, where we have to have God in our lives if we're going to survive. 
It's not that I want Jesus to come back so that I can be delivered from having to face the tough issues. That's not it at all. The reason I want Jesus to come back is because I want his glory. I want him to be rightfully placed. I want him to be seated at the right place in this world. That's the motive. But having said that, let me show you a couple things that Paul wrote about this idea of longing for the kingdom, the kingdom of God to come. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, this is what it says. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Stop there. You going through some pain right now? You got some tough stuff going on in your life? You got some bad relationship issues? You got some, you got some pressure from above or b- from below or beside? You got issues? I mean, we all do, right? Right? Am I the only one up here on stage? Oh, we come to watch you and your problems every week, Dan. Okay, there we go. There we go. You feel better about yourself now, don't you? All right. So we're all good there. So here's the deal. We all have problems. So Paul says, listen, imagine the worst thing that you could possibly go through. Imagine, imagine that pain got 10 times worse right now than it is in your life today. The Bible says here, Paul says here, that is not to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in you as his child. That's the promise of Scripture. That's the glorious promise of Scripture. And then it goes on and it says, For the creation waits eager, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation gets it. All of creation. All of creation longs for the coming of Jesus Christ except human beings. You know, we get kind of satisfied with, you know, you know, I got a credit card now and, you know, and I just got married. Jesus, could you just come back in about 10 years? Because I got some stuff I want to do. All of creation, all of creation longs for the coming of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, And now the prize awaits me. This is Paul writing at the end of his life. This is, he's about ready to be executed. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly, eagerly look forward to his appearing. That is so good, so powerful. And so here's my contention, and this is what I believe about Christians, and this is what I'm going to say to you, and when I say it, you should swallow hard. If you're longing isn't right. If your longing for Jesus isn't right, your living for him won't be right either. The problem is not your behavior. That's, that is a result of something deeper. Your problem is that you don't long eagerly as the most important thing in your life, the glory of God in his return, and live as if that's true. And live every day as if that's true. So just so you know, in this life, you know, most of us are looking for, you know, the easy road. And most of us are looking for, you know, how, you know, how often have you heard? I'm just praying for world peace. You heard that before? Well, I'm telling you, some people pray that. So now you've heard it before. <laughs> so here, here's the thing. There is no such thing as permanent world peace until Jesus comes back. There is no such thing. You know, we can pray and ask God to deliver the people of of Afghanistan 
And he certainly has the power to do that. But let me tell you this carefully. As I read my Bible, this is what I read in the Bible. What's going on in Afghanistan isn't anything compared to what's going to happen at the end of the age. As we move towards Jesus' coming, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And there is no, there's no such thing as this world peace outside of Jesus. He's the only solution. He is the only answer. And yet people are looking for so many other answers. And permanent peace happens. Permanent peace happens when the King of Kings sits in Jerusalem as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. However, having said that, there's this dude that's going to come along at the end of the age. He's called the Antichrist in the Bible. And this is what he does. So here's what you need to know. First of all, let me give you a backdrop of this. So I'm going to teach you the book of Revelation in like 30 seconds, and then you're going to be an expert in the book of Revelation. So here's what you need to know, and all the, all the prophets speak of this as well. So this is what you need to know. The one thing that all the nations of Israel have in common around them, all the nations around Jerusalem, they all have one thing in common. They all hate Israel. They all hate them, hate her. And if it wasn't for the United States' presence in that region of the country and our protection of Israel, they would act today. But here's a fun fact. Well, not so fun fact. This is a not so fun fact. As you read your Bible, what you're going to notice is, is there's an, as we approach the end of the age, there's an absence of Western power. It's not there. And the end of the age is marked by all of those nations, well, this is what happens. Let me give you the whole story. So I'm going to go over 30 seconds. Here we go. So what happens is, is that the Antichrist comes along and he makes a deal with Israel and says, I'll give you protection. I'll give you protection. So he sets that deal up and it works pretty good. Peace on the earth happens for three and a half years. This is the Antichrist dude that's coming. Three and a half years of peace. And then, but here, here's the deal with the Antichrist. He cuts the deal, but there's always strings attached. You know what that string attached is? It's that, oh, by the way, you have to worship me instead of your God. So he goes in, three and a half years into the deal, he goes in to the temple in Jerusalem, desecrates the temple, and literally from that moment forward, Israel breaks the covenant, flees into the mountains, and all hell breaks loose on this planet until the coming of Jesus, and Jesus consumes all of Israel's enemies with the word of his mouth. And the Bible describes that. It's the Battle of Armageddon, by the way, and just in case you wanted a name. The Bible describes that where blood flows bridal deep for miles. I mean, it's mass destruction when God speaks from heaven. And then he establishes his kingdom, and, and he rules forever and ever and ever. But having said that, there is no such thing. If you're looking in your life, if you're looking for a peaceful time, I'm just going to be, here's another fun fact. It's not going to happen. You can have peace in the midst of your turmoil, but you're never going to reach a place where everything around you is just hunky-dory. It's always going to be in turmoil. Jesus is our peace. So having said that, let me take it just one step further. There is a guy touring a zoo when he sees, a strange, he sees a strange sight, a tiny lamb sharing a cage with a huge bear. And uh, he's surprised, and he asks the zookeeper, what gives? What's up with that? And the zookeeper says, ah, this is a picture of peaceful coexistence. 
And he starts to walk away, and the keeper adds, but, of course, we have to put in a fresh lamb every morning. <laughs> That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. Despite optimism of, the optimism of some, the kingdom of God has not arrived in its fullness. It hasn't happened yet. And we wait. We long for that. That's our prayer. That's our hope. We, what we do as believers is we live with that hope, anticipating that hope is what drives everything about us. Not our cars, not our, not our boats, not our vacations. What drives us is the coming of Jesus. That's what should drive every, every believer. So the question that I would ask you is simply this. Whose kingdom are you living for? Whose kingdom are you living for, yours or God's? Newsflash, yours is going to be destroyed shortly unless you live for his. So, I guess I'd ask it to you a different way, so please don't misunderstand this. I guess the way I would say it is, what in the kingdom of God are you living for? First service didn't get that. I've been, so three or four of you got that. Thank you for that. Awesome. That's great. So let's just talk about that for just a minute. Uh, Jesus teaches a parable about this whole concept of giving it all. He talks about this concept of a pearl of great price. Ever heard about that? Matthew chapter 13. Verse 45 and 46, he says, this is Jesus. He's telling stories. He's a master storyteller. And he's in the middle of teaching about the kingdom. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Abandoned everything else and went and found this one pearl. And paid the ultimate price for that one pearl. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. He's speaking to believers. He's saying, when you really find it, everything else doesn't matter. It's that one thing that matters. It's that pearl of great price that really matters. And there's nothing more valuable than possessing the kingdom of God. And when we get a glimpse of the kingdom, we recognize its ultimate worth. We are completely sold out. I believe that the reason that most Christians aren't completely sold out is because they've approached their Christian faith in a very passive way. They get glimpses of Jesus, but they don't really know him. When you know Jesus, the more you know about Jesus, the more sold out you are for him. The more of you know of his love, it's just a powerful thing. And I guess a, the best way that I could explain it would be, it would, it would kind of be like this. When a dog, I had a dog like this, so this is real fresh in my mind. When a dog sniffs out a rabbit. They have rabbit on their head. You can hardly constrain that dog. I used to have this dog that uh, there was rabbit, rabbits all over my front yard and literally I'd have to go out and grab this dog. I love this dog. I had to grab this dog, you know, pull it up to my chest, walk in the house and I'd, you know, shut the door and this dog would have his nose right up against the door <laughs> for hours, hours. And hours waiting somehow, waiting for the doorbell to ring so I could open it and that dog could go out the door again. This dog had rabbit on his mind. That's how I want to be with Jesus. That's how I want to be with Jesus. I want to have Jesus on my mind so much that I, I can't focus on anything else but him and allow him to ferret out all the rest of the garbage inside of my life. So how do I know if that's true of my life? There are three indicators. I put up four, but there's actually three. 
Sometimes your fingers don't work on stage. I'm just saying. Three indicators of whether I really am someone sold out to the kingdom. Number one, here's how I know. I look at my bank account. What I spend my money on doesn't lie. It doesn't. Look at your bank account. See, where, see how you're spending your money. See how you're investing in yourself. See how you're investing in the kingdom. Just look at it. It doesn't lie. I'm telling you, it doesn't lie. The second thing that you look at is your calendar. Where you invest your time in doesn't lie. It just doesn't lie. And the third thing that you look at is how are you investing in relationships? That it doesn't lie either. So it's my bank account, my calendar, and my relationships really tells me if I'm sold out or not. And if I'm honest with you, there are times that I have to admit that I get caught up in this world and that I have to repent. I'm on this ongoing process of repenting. And there are times that I'm more excited about investing in my vacation than the kingdom. Anybody here like that? And I have to repent of that. So let me ask you this. Would people describe you with these words? when it comes to your faith in Jesus. Devotion. That's a good word. Passion. Are you more passionate about sports or God? Worship. Would they describe you as a worshiper? You know, I'm going to tell you honestly, I'm not saying this. I, I, I hesitate to say this. I say it because I think it's going to help you. There is never a day in my life that I put my head down on my pillow that I haven't worshipped Jesus. I, I don't worship like maybe you worship. It's not singing for me. It's with my mouth. My declaration of my understanding of his holiness and my complete willingness to follow wherever he sends me to go. That's worship to me. Would people describe you as a worshiper? How about single-mindedness? Or are you like, you're all over the map. Single focus, Jesus, and surrender. My hope and prayer is that that's exactly who you'd be and that's how people would describe you. But I want to create, I want to end my service, our services, our time together with just, if that's for me, I'm not here. <laughs> I want to end our time together with just a thought. If I didn't create a crisis for you, you don't have a pulse. If you heard what I said, I created a crisis for you. Then now you have to go and figure out. I'm okay with that. And that's a good thing. Because if it creates the process of repenting and repenting and repenting, of changing your mind and changing your mind and having more faith in Jesus, one step at a time, one day at a time, one step at a time. If that's what it does for you, then I am great with that because that's my hope and that's my prayer for you is that every time you come to grace, you'll take one step closer to Jesus. One step closer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for your grace in our life. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to see a glimpse into your kingdom and into your heart. And I pray that, God, that you would allow us to really, truly surrender our lives to you worship you, give passion to you, give devotion to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and wonderful name. Amen.